WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. While Black students are only about 10% of the students who live on Michigan State's campus, there are almost 50% of the students in one particular dorm, Butterfield. Most of the dorms in West Circle are over 79% white. We're here today with Jasmine Jordan to tell us more about housing segregation on campus. Thanks for joining us today, Jasmine. May you please tell us about yourself and your research? My name is Jasmine Jordan. I am a senior poli-sci major, but I graduated yesterday and I'll be heading to the University of Cambridge to study criminology next year. I started researching the dorms my freshman year on campus. I finished this project about a year ago, just talking about isolation of minority students on campus originally, but also how different groups separate themselves in the dorms on campus. Thanks for joining us this morning, Jasmine, and congratulations on going to Cambridge to get your master's in criminology. To help our audience understand your role in this research, could you talk to us a little bit about how you got involved with doing this kind of work on understanding segregation within the MSU housing? Sure. Originally, it was because I came to campus and I went to medium-sized school. I'm from Detroit, by the way. But Michigan State was the number one school that students from my high school picked. There was about 65, somewhere around there, of people in my graduating class that came to MSU out of like the 200 people who graduated. So I was expecting to come to college and see all of them. And I didn't see any of them. I lived on the honors floor in McDonald freshman year. And I was like, where are all my friends from high school? And I remember I was visiting one of my college friends in Hubbard and I was like, oh, here they all are. Why do they all live in the same dorm? And that originally was the question that spurred me to start researching the dorms. And the more I researched, the more like my own assumptions were challenged. For example, like Hubbard isn't even close to one of the worst ones. And that was the one that originally made me want to research this topic. So for those of you who don't know, Danny and I are graduate students. And whenever you are an undergraduate student, you are required to live on campus for a certain amount of time. So because we weren't required to stay on campus, I'm not sure about this. Whenever you were a freshman and you were staying on campus, were you assigned to a dorm or did you get to pick one? It's complicated is the answer to that. So the requirement was one year when I was a freshman and they're talking about bumping it up to two years, which is another reason why I always thought this research was so important. Because it's not something that students have the option to do or not. You have to live on campus unless you're going to live with your parents or you have some type of other extreme situation. You do pick, but freshmen pick after everyone else. So if you're a student on campus, you pretty much pick which dorm you're going to live in for the next year in October, November, around there, if you're an upperclassman who wants to come back and live on campus again. If you're a freshman, obviously, you might even pick what college you're going to until March or April of the next year. So freshman choices are extremely limited. Most of the freshmen I talked to say that they had two options as to which dorms to live in, which dorms that they could live in. Me being an honors student, I got my pick of the honors floors. There's eight dorms that have honors floors or honors suites. So I didn't end up in one of the dorms that were my like two that popped up originally. I had a larger pick. Personally, I was really grateful to be able to actually live with some of my family members whenever I was attending my undergraduate institution down in Miami, Florida. 
So I, I didn't actually have to worry about things like having to stay on a dorm. So I never really worried about those issues that perpetuate whenever you have this kind of segregation going on. When it comes to the work that you're doing, how did you perform your research? Did you go out and take surveys? Were you dwelling and trying to study the different populations of students that lived in the dorms? What was that experience like? The main part of my research, the main data I present actually comes from residents housing. So I know that there were some concerns or there may be some concerns where people say, well, maybe, you know, you're seeing a disproportionate amount of black students in certain doors because you messed up collecting the data. But I actually got the data from residential housing. When students fill out all of the information and live on campus, there are diversity questions on there. There's demographic questions. And that's where I got the majority of the data that breaks down which students are in which dorms. After that, I basically analyzed when students moved on campus, which I couldn't do for every dorm, but I did for the dorms that were disproportionately Black and Latino. I basically said, freshman year, you didn't have much of a choice, but sophomore year, you've gotten used to campus, you see where your friends lived. Where did you move? So I basically studied Black students who lived in disproportionately Black dorms and the Latino students who lived in the one dorm that's disproportionately Latino. And I just asked myself, like, where did these students move after their freshman year? I noticed that in the dorm that's disproportionately Latino, most of those students who stay on campus again, they're going to stay in that dorm. For the dorms that are disproportionately Black, for some of them, those students do stay. Like Butterfield has a really high like retention rate of Black students who live in Butterfield. A lot of them stay. For dorms like Hubbard, which are disproportionately Black, a lot of them leave. Like Hubbard is known to be a dorm that a lot of freshmen live in. But when they leave, I notice that the majority of them are going to leave and move to another disproportionately Black dorm. So it's not like they leave Hubbard and move to Snyder Phillips. They leave Hubbard and move to Butterfield or to Emmons they moved to another disproportionately Black dorm. And these dorms are on opposite sides of campus. For the most part, there's three in Brody, but three in Brody, one in South, one in East. They're on different sides of campus. They're typically on the periphery of campus, on the edges of campus. The ones in Brody are community style, but Hubbard and Holden are both suite styles. There's not a lot that these dorms have in common. So that was the main gist of my research. Thanks for clarifying that you were studying sophomores and people who were studying even later in their undergraduate degrees. I like that you were studying the Latinx and the Black communities because it's really important to see that they were even in separate dorms. Now, I'm wondering if this is happening in other campuses. When you were conducting this study, did you look at other campuses like Big Ten schools or places in America and see maybe if they also have housing segregation as well? Basically, what I did was when it came to the segregation on campus, I noticed that the dorms that are disproportionately white are in spaces on campus that are like a five minute walk away from the library, the writing center, the resource center for persons with disabilities, and the union, like all of these resources on campus were very, very close to the dorms that were disproportionately white. And then when I talked about the dorms that are disproportionately black and the one that's disproportionately Latino, they're on the periphery of campus. They're literally a mile away from the resources on campus. So what I was looking for at other schools was how they made, instead of like forcing integration, like making black students live with a white student, not letting students choose their roommates because self-segregation is a thing that happens. I basically was just looking for whether or not the college itself created a community where not only could the students of color live and have their community, but also 
They would get resources that white students who wanted to learn more could also live there. Just like a place that was literally not just the students making this decision to segregate themselves, but the university itself helping the students so they wouldn't be isolated on the other end of campus, that they would have resources and things like that. And those are what these living learning communities are. You talked about how you researched different dorms that were disproportionately black comparatively to the other dorms here on campus at Michigan State. How do the trends of people moving from dorm to dorm change when it comes to, for example, students that are black that live in predominantly white dorms? Does the work that you're doing right now also include that kind of data for your research? The neighborhoods and the dorms, when unless you're talking about like Van Hoosen, Owen, like those types, which I did not research, I stuck to the undergraduate dorms. Those are the price wise, as long as you're talking about the same type of room, are the same. The students choosing which dorms was basically what I was interested in. I can talk a little bit about self-segregation. Like I said, I didn't ask, but based off of the moving patterns, I think that it's very clear that at least among Black and Latino students, it does happen. There are dorms that are disproportionately freshmen as well. I don't have the data on the white dorms, though, because the amount of Black students in those dorms was just so small that if I had put that data out there, you would be able to track a specific student. Like, for example, there was one Black student who moved from McDonald, which is middle of the road when it comes to the demographics of McDonald are exactly the same as the population demographics. But the student moved to SNIFI, which is disproportionately white, and I was able to track that student and that student was me, so I could do that for Black students in the white dorm, so I decided not to put that data out there. Something that caught my attention that you just mentioned was self-segregation. Self-segregation has not been mentioned in our past interviews. Would you be able to please define that for our audience, and how it plays a role in the housing segregation? So basically, self-segregation is the idea that a group is going to separate itself from another group. This is not imposed by a third party, which relates to my research because the majority of what I'm talking about here is self-segregation. It is not that the university is tracking zip codes or the demographics of their students and separating out Black and white students and Latino students and like, let's have you all live separately. That is not what's going on here. You might also hear the term de facto segregation instead of de jure. It's not by law. It is just by fact that this is true, that the dorms are segregated, which is why Hubbard, which is disproportionately Black, but it is not as disproportionately Black as Butterfield or the other dorms in Brody. Hubbard is a dorm that is majority freshman. The same thing with dorms like Snyder Phillips. However, when you look at Butterfield and Emmons and Rather, which are dorms that more upperclassmen live in, all of a sudden you see even higher numbers of segregation. Same thing with the West Circle dorms when it comes to white students. West Circle is a neighborhood that has more upperclassmen and it is more disproportionately white than the other neighborhoods. Students are on some level choosing to segregate themselves. Now, I'm not trying to say that students are doing this on purpose, that they are like, I do not want to live near anybody who does not look like me. I honestly would be hard pressed to find a student on campus to say something like that. 
There are a lot of reasons why students move around campus. It could be to be closer to class, which is why I moved when I was living on campus. I moved from McDonald to Snyder Phillips because it was closer to my classes and I didn't feel like waking up that early to walk. It could be because they want to be closer to the library. They want to move to a dorm with better food. But when you talk about people who want to live with a specific person, when you're like, I want to live with my friend and we want to move to this particular dorm, I guess what we need to step back and ask ourselves is why are students of color choosing these specific dorms? Why are white students choosing these specific dorms? And what can we do to make sure that the Black students and the Latino students who are choosing dorms that aren't near the middle of campus, what can we do to make sure that they're reaping the benefit of being a student who lives on campus? Thanks for explaining and making that clear for our audience on the idea behind self-segregation and how that could impact housing. Now that you've concluded your research, what kinds of suggestions would you give to Michigan State University to improve the housing experiences for students from marginalized communities and backgrounds, and how can that help decrease the housing segregation that currently exists within the system? I think MSU is taking some good steps, and they have been over the past year or so, for example, with confirming that they are moving forward with building a multicultural building in students of color academic life, I guess, life on campus, having a place where you can go and resources are centralized like that will be a huge step forward as far as making students of color feel like they belong here. Once again, that multicultural building, they haven't exactly picked a spot yet, but it really is going to be in the middle of campus, probably next to Shaw, which is one of the most disproportionately white dorms on campus. One of the things I would urge MSU to do is to look at the racial composition of the dorms and make sure that when you are putting forward resources to make students of color feel more at home here, that you're taking it to places where they can actually access it and not just in their actual day-to-day lives on campus, but since students spend a lot of time in housing. This is not high school. This is not seven to, you know, four every day. A lot of times you will be spent in your dorm that you're making sure that those resources are close to them. One of the things about the living learning communities, for example, is they really do push for students learning more about the racial group, about the culture, while also giving students more resources. And MSU just doesn't have anything like that. When you go to the housing website and you look at the living learning communities, the only thing that even mentions race is Emerald. And I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with that, but Emerald is basically a program run by the intercultural aides at MSU, where they have like weekly conversations around issues of injustice, oppression, culture, that type of thing. But it's just that it's a conversation. It has nothing to do with the students who live in that particular dorm. That does not exist on our campus, even though it exists at the University of Michigan, the University of Minnesota. Like I could go on and on about all the schools who do something like that and MSU doesn't. The last thing I would say is just that decreasing segregation doesn't have to be the goal. Studies have found that Black students who live with white students statistically are more likely to have an issue. They're more likely to be the one that moves out in a dorm, inside of the dorm issue. I would discourage MSU putting forward any policy that like forced Black students to live with white students because that still doesn't help the Black students themselves. It might decrease the racism of the white student, but it does not help the Black student, which is the whole point. 
I would just say to focus on distributing resources and continuing to do work that makes students of color feel more at home here. Yeah, Jasmine, I really agree that the multicultural building on campus will be very important and very significant for whenever it is built. Thank you for providing those suggestions on how we can improve the housing culture. I hope that people at MSU are listening to this and that they'll take some of this into account. Now that you're going to Cambridge for your master's in criminology research, do you happen to know yet what your research will be focused on? The main part of my research will be about American exceptionalism when it comes to mass incarceration. I don't know if you know this or not, but America imprisons more people than any other country on earth by numbers. Even though China and India have a billion people, America still has more people in prison than them. Percentage-wise, we have about a fourth of the world's prisoners. We're about 5% of the world's population. So there's a big issue there. I am a Gates Cambridge scholar, so I'll be at Cambridge next year, mainly focusing on that. But I also will be doing some work on policing and prosecuting. Those are really important topics that are really taking the nation by storm right now. So I'm really glad that there's going to be professionals like yourself studying and researching how that impacts our society. Thank you again for joining us today to talk to us about the past work that you did on studying housing segregation here at Michigan State University. Once again, congratulations on graduating and good luck with your master's in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.